This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Girls a Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who totally did predict that Adam Ernie was going to be among the team leading goal scorers for Detroit this year. You probably just didn't hear it. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and we've got a really fun episode for you today as we've got another installment of the 32 Beats interview series. We did San Jose with Shang Peng on Sunday, and that was such a fun show. And now we're back at you with a really fun episode today where we're going to be talking to Prashanth Iyer all about the Detroit Red Wings. I just wrapped up my chat with Prashanth, and it was a blast last the time flew by and I, don't, I gotta be honest that got me kind of excited about the Detroit Red Wings I think this is a team on the rise but of course everything has to come together I think you're really gonna like it of course before we get to that let me mention that we're presented by DauberHockey.com the number one fancy hockey website in the world keeping the content coming through the playoffs it'll keep coming through the offseason if you want to be up to speed with all things fantasy hockey you need to be checking out DauberHockey.com but with that, I'm not going to dilly-dally. Let's cut to my interview with Prashanth Iyer about the Detroit Red Wings. All right, everybody, really excited to bring you this next interview in our 32 Beats Beat Writer interview series. We've got a good one. Uh, we talked to him last year about the Detroit Red Wings, and this year's going to be a little bit more positive, at least a little. Uh, he's... Uh, former host of the Wings for Breakfast podcast, co-creator of Meta Hockey, and like a ton of other things. We're huge fans. Welcome to the show once again, Prashanth Iyer. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, really stoked to talk Wings with you. And yeah, I just listened to our interview from last year where we talked about the Wings' like historically bad season. And I feel like we're going to uh, be able to have a bit of a more positive spin this year. Like Compared to 2019-20, you could say 2020-21 was kind of like a success, right? The Wings, not only did they not come in last place, uh, they like tied for fourth last. So, okay, that's already a nice improvement. <laughs> they tied with Columbus. They were ahead of Buffalo, Anaheim, and New Jersey. And if you look deeper, the Wings kind of look even better. Like, if you just focus on the games after February 20th, maybe they just had to work out some kinks or something. For these last couple of months, they went 15, 15, and 7 in their final 37 games. Good for 19th in points percentage in that span. That's a, a head in that span of the Montreal Canadiens, who are currently in the conference finals. You could say the Wings are basically like a semifinal team, right? Yeah, I mean, effectively that. And then if you throw in the fact that as bad as the Wings were in 2019-2020, they still beat the Canadians all four times they played. Um, you might as well just say that they belong to be in the in the conference finals at this point. Yeah, and then next thing you know, if Montreal could beat 
uh, Vegas or Colorado. Maybe we're talking about the Wings as a potential Stanley Cup champ. But maybe I'll start a little bit back from there. But yeah, I'd like to start with this more optimistic note of like, instead of last year's, how were the Wings so bad? Maybe we could start this question by asking, do you see this run at the end of the past season as an indication that the Wings are like a team on the rise that potentially might even be able to be a fringe playoff contender as soon as next season? Or is it more like, yeah, maybe they just overperformed a bit during that final stretch. They had some amazing goaltending in that run, and they still have quite a bit of a way to go before they're going to be really competitive. You know, I think it's a it's a really great question because, I mean, when we were looking back at 2019, 2020, they were 23 points behind the Senators who were, you know, yeah. second last there, right? So, so you were 23 points behind the second worst team in the league. And obviously this year, you know, in a shortened season, they were able to do much better. They actually bettered their point total uh, from the 1920 season and the shorter season. And, you know, like you said, over the back half of the season, they played extraordinarily well, including, you know, a really tough month of March where I think a lot of people, including myself, were very nervous how Detroit was going to do in March. They had three games against Carolina. I think they had two games against Tampa. They had a couple games against Dallas, a couple games against Nashville, basically playing entirely playoff teams that entire month. And, you know, they came out looking pretty okay from, from all of those games. And it sort of gave you some, some hope moving forward because not only did the wings do that against a tough schedule, they bettered their point total from last season. They did it despite having a lot of injuries. Tyler Bertuzzi didn't make it out of the month of January. Robbie Fabry missed, you know, 15 plus games on the season. He was a big, uh, you know, piece for them. Dylan Larkin missed time this year. Uh, you know, Anthony Mantha is traded at the deadline. So a lot of the guys that we thought were going to be core people missed all a huge chunk of time for the Red Wings this year. And at the end of the day, they still had a better record than they did the season before. And so I think, you know, at least things are looking a little bit up here. They did need those guys. They had Adam Ernie. Yeah, I mean, Adam Ernie finishes. I, if you took prop bets at the beginning of the season and placed the bet that Adam Ernie was going to be the leading goal scorer for the Detroit Red Wings in 2020-2021, you probably got outstanding odds on that because I don't think anyone would have ever expected him to do that, uh, finishing the season with 11 goals, which actually led the team. So That's wild. You know, he, he took over that back half of the season. Uh, yeah, so I'll definitely ask about him and these other forwards. But yeah, just to get back to my original question, like, so do you think this is a sign? Like, If you were to make now a bet on, on next season, what kind of odds would you need to take a bet that the Wings will make the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, so next season we should see Moritz Sider come over. He should be in the lineup from day one. That'll be key. But really, you know, it's it's so tough for me to say what they're going to look like next year because effectively the entire roster can be turned over this offseason. The Wings have $50 million plus in cap space and could go down a number of different avenues, uh, whether they want to get really, really crazy and they want to go out and they throw an offer sheet at somebody, they go – sign a Dougie Hamilton, they could go be crazy like that, or they could decide that they want to tear it down a little bit more and potentially trade Jacob Vrana, trade Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, and try and acquire even more draft capital. So I think that's what makes it so difficult to project the Red Wings uh, is because I just have no idea the direction that they want to go in. That being said, if they do opt for a more, I think, aggressive approach in free agency, which I don't think is the likely scenario here. They could be a playoff contender as early as next season, but I think more likely you're looking at least still two to three years from now before they're 
it's kind of knocking on the door in my opinion i see okay yeah so maybe we should just stop this interview now and then we should reschedule for a couple months from now i was kind of looking at the wings as a team that at least like the main core pieces seem to be in place but you're right with all this cap space they could just bring in more and more core pieces and potentially turn this into a good team rather quickly um yeah what i brought up about their hot run at the end of this past season is this goaltending like really came out of nowhere and they were great like in last year's interview we talked about jonathan bernier and you were saying that you saw him as like a potential top five goalie in the league and or at least that was the caliber of a season 2019-20 like he only had a 907 save percentage overall but like under the hood looking at the quality of shots against you were saying that he really looked really fantastic he had an even better year at least over the hood in 2020-21 he had a 914 save percentage instead of 907 in the 24 games he played uh uh, at times, he was even looking better than a 914 goal. He went on a couple of runs where he was like having just like four plus games in a row of two or fewer goals against, leading to, of course, Brian and I pumping him up on the podcast, telling people they should add him to their fantasy leagues just for him to like completely blow up like that seven goals against game against Nashville after we said, everyone, maybe you should go jump on Jonathan Bernier. But uh, regardless of that, He's now an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. And I, obviously, I want to talk about Thomas Grice also. But do you have a sense right now of what the Wings are planning to do with Bernier, trying to get him back? Or do you think they're going to go with Grice and someone else? I think my, my sense is that they'll bring him back. Um, he has expressed already that Detroit would be his number one option for where he wants to come back and play next season. I think him and Grace worked really well as a nice tandem. I think Thomas Grace had obviously a much slower start to the season, but Grace really found his game in the month of April. And, and I think they formed a formidable duo, uh, allowing sort of Blaschel to alternate between the two and, and make sure that they were both well-rested while giving the Red Wings every opportunity to be in every game. And I think because you know, of Bernier's desire to come back, I don't think he'll be particularly expensive for the Red Wings. And I think if you sort of couple in the fact that there is no goaltending prospect knocking on the door in Detroit, there is no Spencer Knight, there is no Yaroslav Askarov or anything like that. Really the best uh, goaltending prospect in Detroit system is Keith Petruzzelli, who to this date is still unsigned um, and, and looking to potentially go back to the NCAA for another season next year. So uh, I think all that being said, I think Bernier is likely to be back in Detroit. It seems to be a really good system fit for him, and and I would expect him to be there potentially on a one- or two-year deal. Yeah, I guess, though, I would imagine maybe he could get, like, more years, or do you know, don't think that's possible? Like, he just, he's had a good couple of seasons, so I wonder if he could maybe get a longer-term deal for himself. I think he would be able to get a longer-term deal if he opted to go somewhere outside of Detroit. I think one of the things that Steve Eisman has done a really nice job of thus far in Detroit is avoiding handing out term to his free agents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at the Red Wings cap-friendly page right now, there are two forwards, and they're the only two forwards on the roster that are signed beyond 2021-2022. They're, in fact, they're the only two players, and it's Dylan Larkin and Richard Ponick, a contract that he didn't sign, but he acquired. Nobody else has signed on the roster beyond then. And so uh, I think he's done a nice job of minimizing term. And so that's why I don't think if if Bernie wants to come back to Detroit, he's going to get more than one or two years. But, you know, at his age, being 32, if he opted to go elsewhere, I think he certainly could get a longer deal. It's just going to come down to what he wants to do. Yeah, and I guess what kind of offers come in. So, okay, so I have this random goalie in my dynasty league that I added at a free agency, Philip Larson. You're saying that he's not someone I should be expecting to do anything? No, Philip Larson, I think two years ago, would have been the guy that a lot of people were really excited about. He had a really solid season over in Sweden and uh, then had come over to the NCAA, looked great in Denver. Um, 
you know, was an outstanding goaltender in, in Denver. And so then in 20, I believe 2019, 2020, the Red Wings tried to bring him up to Grand Rapids in the AHO and he bottomed out very badly. In fact, got himself sent down to the ECHL, struggled to play um, for the Toledo Walleye down in the ECHL. Then this past season kind of spent it back over in Europe, struggled once again. Uh, I don't see a path forward for him to the NHL, in, in, in my opinion. Now, certainly uh, he could turn his career around, and he definitely has uh, the potential to because he's shown it in the NCAA. But at least over the last two-plus years, we haven't seen an NHL-caliber goaltender in Philip Larson. Okay, fair enough. And you know – not that bad, but it was looking like maybe you would say similarly bad things about Thomas Grice. Like you said, at the start of the season, he came off really slow. He was just having g- games in a row of letting in three plus goals. Like you couldn't get a game of him having, you know, a quality start. And then all of a sudden, like this f- switch flipped. And by the end of the season, he was like looking like one of the best goalies in the league. Actually, I just like randomly cut, made a cutoff of March 30th. From March 30th on, he had the best save percentage in the entire league of goalies who played at least like seven games in a 13 game span. He had a 946 save percentage. So I'm just curious, like what happened with Thomas Grice? Was it just that he was getting acclimated to a new system? Like how, how does a goalie go from being so bad to so good? Just like on a, what do they say? Like a, something of a dime on the edge of a dime. What's that saying? (laughs) I mean, like basically, I mean, he did it just out of thin air. It's kind of what happened because you're absolutely right. Like if you use April 1st uh, or March 30th as your cutoff and just look at Thomas Grice's goal saved above expected, he led the league from April 1st to the end of the season. That's the final six weeks of the season. He was the best goalie in the league. It's crazy. It's sort of weird. Like it just came out of nowhere because at the beginning of the season, he was the worst goalie in the league. Uh, really, over the first kind of three months, he was struggling so bad that Jonathan Bernier was really getting all of the starts. And that was part of the Red Wings' struggles was, I think, Grice was sort of struggling to maybe play behind the defense of Detroit, which, you know, coming from the New York Islanders, coming from Barry Trotz's system, I think some people expected some growing pains uh, there because obviously Trotz plays a really tight defensive system in New York. The Islanders have been really, really solid. They're a far better team than uh, Detroit was in 2019, 2020. And so Grice coming over and joining that, I think I expected some growing pains. I did not expect him to struggle as much as he did. And so I really think what you saw over the final six weeks was maybe more of a return to what his baseline can be. Uh, as opposed to you know some something unexpected and and I think Grice can be that caliber of goaltender. Uh, the stats he put up were sort of in line with what he did in the Islanders years with Trotz. So you know maybe it's just adjusting to how to play behind Detroit system, sort of learning how to rein in the aggressiveness and where to be and where to direct pucks and and where his defenseman's going to be and what lanes they're going to take away. I do think um, there's a little bit of an adjustment period there, and I think he sort of showed that he figured it out by the end of the year. Yeah, it was wild. And I guess when you put it all together, the slow start and the strong finish, he ended up with a 9-12 save percentage overall, which is basically the exact same thing that he had in 2019-20 with the Islanders. So maybe that's just what we can expect moving forward. He is 35 years old. I guess at some point he's going to slow down. But hopefully for the Red Wings, he has at least one more good year that last year of his contract. By the way, for people yelling at their phones, it's uh, on on the turn of a dime or on a dime, I guess is what I was trying to say. <laughs> I don't know. I shouldn't try to be pulling these uh, sayings out of my butt like that. Okay, so of course, 
there's only so much a goalie can do to uh, help the team not letting goals. And the Wings have generally not been known to have such a strong defense. But I've got to imagine that they must be excited to have this big ringer coming in next season with Moritz Sider, looking like he should be ready to start his NHL career. Uh, we actually asked you at the end of our podcast last season who would be a good sleeper, like someone that people might not expect to do so well and have a good 2021 season. And you picked Sider, expecting that he'd, I guess, make it to the NHL at some point. And you were saying that he might even be the number one D-man on the team by the end of the season. So that didn't happen. He ended up playing in the SHL instead and most recently was named the top defenseman in the World Hockey Championship that just wrapped up. So do you have a sense of why the Wings decided to wait a year on Cider? And am I right to assume that he'll be with the big club this season? Yeah, so he'll absolutely be a lock for the Red Wings this season. And truth be told, if last if this past season was really a normal season, he would have been in Detroit. I think given the uncertainty of when the NHL was going to start and the fact that the SHL was able to get up and running a little bit earlier, uh, the Red Wings selected to sort of loan Moritz Sider out to uh, the SHL. And because of the way the loan system worked, they couldn't recall him until his team finished. And because oh, he made Rogla so good, Rogla made it all the way to the finals. And by the time Rogla lost in the finals – the season was over for the Red Wings and he wasn't going to come back. So really the main reason why Moritz Sider was over there was simply there was just uncertainty about when the NHL season would start and the Red Wings wanted their best prospect playing. And, you know, I don't think I was out of line and sort of expecting him to be the breakout player because he went over to the SHL and was the defenseman of the year in the SHL okay, yeah. and then goes to the IHF Worlds, right, and is the best defenseman there and, and is named to the All-Star team there. So really he's now coming to Detroit with – monumental expectations over the last that have really kind of built up over the last year because he does go to the third best league in the world in the SHL and is the defenseman of the year over there as a 19 now 20 year old defenseman and then goes to the IHF world and is the defenseman of the tournament over there on the all-star team and so now I think a lot of people are really excited and I think as soon as he hits the ice in Detroit he's going to be the Red Wings best defenseman. So, like, what do you think we should expect from him? Like, from a fantasy perspective, like, what kind of production do you think that we can expect in year one? He's not going to be an attractive fantasy player because I don't think he's going to be a guy that puts up a lot of point totals. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know that you'll necessarily see him on power play one in Detroit. You'll see him on the penalty kill. But where, where he'll be valuable, depending on the league setup, will be he's going to play a lot of minutes. I think by the end of the season, he's going to be a 20 to 22 minute kind of guy. Uh, he'll throw a lot of hits if hits is a stat that um, – you know, your league plays with shots. He's another guy that's going to be able to do all of that. I'm sort of expecting over the course of an 82 game season, he's probably a 20 to 25 point defenseman with maybe, you know, four or five goals and 20 or so assists um, in that ballpark. But I think he'll be in the conversation for the Calder next year. Um, you know, just given if he can play with that steady, you know, pace, he seems to do a really nice job of making breakout passes. He does an excellent job of tilting the ice and, you know, his team's favor. I think that was one of the attractive things about him in, in Sweden was he had a five on five Corsi four percentage north of 60% for most of the season, which is, you know, sort of ridiculous uh, to be able to do that as a 19 year old. But unfortunately, a lot of that doesn't get measured in fantasy hockey, making him sort of a, a less exciting prospect in that regard. 
Oh, okay. Well, still, uh, maybe one impact you'll have is helping Bernier and Thomas Grice have better seasons because they'll have a stronger defenseman there. And I guess that would then be good news if you're not expecting Sider to take over on the top power play, then maybe Philip Hronik will have a chance to build on what was, I guess, kind of a disappointing 2020-21 season. Hronik ended the season with 26 points in 56 games. That's a 38-point pace, similar to what he did in 2019-20. But unlike 2019-20, he seemed to suffer from a bit of bad luck. He only had two of his 114 shots go in the net. That's a 1.8 shooting percentage, well down from the like around 7% that he had in the previous two seasons. So like I did some quick math here on the back of a napkin and like if he would have shot at 7% and took the same number of shots, that means he would have scored eight goals instead of two. And we'd be talking about a 47 point pace player instead of a 38 point pace player, which is obviously a huge difference. So now that you're saying that Hironic probably gets to stick on the top power play for another year, Is it fair to conclude that the underlying numbers indicate that he has more in him and maybe we could expect a 45-plus point defenseman next year? Or, like, maybe I shouldn't just assume that he gets that shooting percentage back. Maybe there was something actually wrong this year. Yeah, I mean, so the funny part about the shooting percentage that you bring up, both of his goals that he scored were on an empty net. He didn't actually beat oh, wow. a goaltender this season. So, um, yeah, he, he he did not score on a goalie in this NHL season, which is fascinating uh, when you also see that he led the Red Wings in points with 26. So, uh, you know, putting it all together, I think Philip Peronik's a really tricky case. He's a guy that's playing, I think, above his means right now because he has to. Detroit does not have anybody better than him defensively, and so he's being asked to go out there, play 23 minutes a night, play on the top power play, play on the top penalty kill, uh, do a lot of different things, match up against the opposition's best player. And frankly speaking, I don't think he has – the capacity to handle that. And I think you've seen that over the last two years where really I think his game has has sort of dipped from his initial rookie season in 18-19 where I think people were really excited about the promise he brought, thinking he'd be a half a point per game player, uh, get you some power play points, get you some assists. He has a big slap shot that you really like to see on the power play there if they can set him up, um, you know, on that left-sided, left face-off dot. None of that really manifested this year in Detroit. I think he tends to take far too many shots from the perimeter. He actually was somewhat disruptive uh, on the power play this year by sort of shooting the puck when he probably shouldn't shoot the puck. Either it'd be a shot from the point when he really had space to step in, or it'd be a shot from the point where there was no traffic in front uh, and there was no reason to really take that shot and it ends up being an easy whistle. So moral of the story, I think with Moritz Sider coming over and potentially being able to handle some of the more defensive responsibilities. I do think you may actually get more point totals out of Philip Aronik. I do think you might be able to see him get back to that 40-point pace because he's simply going to have less defensive responsibilities and can focus more on playing on that, playing that offensive game. He won't be Sider's deep partner. They're both right-hand shots, so uh, you know they're, they're likely going to be on two different pairings, but I think Sider's pairing is going to be the one that will sort of match up against a, maybe the better – opposition and allow Philip Ronick to play a little bit more aggressively. Oh, that's interesting. So Sider coming in like opens him up to express more of his offensive abilities. Oh, that's exciting. Maybe that could make him a little bit of a sleeper going to next season. Because I'll bet you there's going to be some people that on the face of it are just going to be seeing, oh, now there's a competition coming in. So maybe that will eat into Heronic's value, but you're saying it might actually boost it. Yeah, I think it may actually boost his value simply by he's not the central focus and he's not having to invest so much time and energy into the defensive side of the puck. Uh, I think if he's able to get a little bit better offensive matchups and sort of look for his offense a bit more, I think he's a guy that does have a little bit more reserve in him uh, than than what we've seen sort of the last season and a half. 
Cool. And okay, this is like just a question I have to ask because I have no idea what your answer is going to be. After Heronic and Cider, who would you say is going to be like the third best defenseman on this team? I, I bet you there's a lot of listeners that couldn't even name a third defenseman on yeah. this team. You know, this it's it's really tough. And again, it's I think some of it's going to depend on what they choose to do uh, in free agency, given that right. they can basically turn over their entire defense. But in terms of guys on the roster, for me, it's Troy Stetcher. Uh, I think, you know, Stetcher was an outstanding signing uh, from Vancouver this past offseason when Jim Benning elected not to give him $1.7 million. And Stetcher, you know, we just saw him have a great, you know, world's tournament helping lead Canada uh, to the gold medal as sort of Canada's top defenseman. He was playing 27, 28 minutes a night with Owen Power, who's the likely the first overall pick. I think Stetcher's a dynamic skater, a guy who can really join the rush um, and, and sort of help out. Now, that being said, uh, him, Sider, Philip Ronick, they're all right shot defensemen. They all play, you know, on that side. So they're, they're probably all three on different pairings, although Stetcher can play a little bit on the left side. Um, but he's probably my pick for the third best defenseman, assuming Detroit does not go out there and get somebody else. Yeah, but I guess you're saying if they have the cap space, why not get someone? I'm seeing. I'm just looking through a list of unrestricted free agents that are left shot defensemen. Obviously, a Dougie Hamilton's a right shot, so that I guess maybe doesn't make the most sense. How about like Alec Martinez? Yeah, I mean Alec Martinez is a guy that's been tossed out. Jamie Alexiak's a guy that's been tossed mm. out. Um, you know, there's a handful of guys out there that I think would make some sense, and I, I suspect Steve Eiserman will will do that. There's even been rumblings that the Red Wings bring Mark Stahl back. Um, cause he actually did not look that bad this season, contrary to, I think what a lot of people expected. Right. Um, so it, it's sort of tough to say what they're going to do on the out of their defense here. Um, you know, there's the potential they buy out Danny DeKaiser, you know, maybe Dennis Chalowski might get a, a little bit bigger role, but it sort of depends on how Detroit, uh, you know, what they elect to do in the expansion draft, if they choose to protect him or not. Right. Uh, he's a guy that's sort of his future in Detroit is, is up in the air, but end of the day, it, it's really hard to see what they're going to do on the left side because there's just so many, op- or, I guess, possibilities. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, so speaking of that expansion draft, is Chalowski, in your opinion, the front runner for to be the guy that Seattle ends up taking? Um, I think it depends if Detroit elects to protect Troy Stetcher or not, and that's really been the central question. People have sort of read into what Herman suggested about not wanting to lose his restricted free agents, um, you know, for nothing. Um, and th- that would be sort of Dennis Chalowski and Gustav Lindstrom are the two defensemen that would need to be protected in addition to Philip Aronik. Um, And so if that's the case, then Troy Stetcher would actually be the guy that I think Seattle takes. Um, and if they elect to protect Stetcher, then I think potentially it's down to Evgeny Svechnikov or Dennis Chalowski. So we'll be interesting to see how the Red Wings proceed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also who Seattle ends up going for. All right, so I guess that's the D and goalie talk. Let's get to these forwards. And I got to start by asking you, of course, about Dylan Larkin, who, you know, we just did our last interview with Sheng Peng about the San Jose Sharks. And I was joking with him about how like we were talking about Eric Carlson on last year's interview. And we were like, oh, Carlson had like a 70-point pace in 2018-19. Like, what happened? He only had 60-point pace in 2019-20. And we were like, oh, do you think he'll go back to the 70-point version? And then in the end, he ended up just like, you know, spiraling down to like much worse we would have wished that we could have had 60-point Eric Carlson. And I feel like it's pretty much the same situation with Dylan Larkin, because we were talking to you about his 61-point pace season 2019-20, being like, do you think he could get back to being the near-point-per-game guy that he was before and instead Larkin like nosedived had the worst season of his career at least offensively only 23 points in his 44 games before Jamie Ben cross-checked him ending his season early uh so that's a 43 point full season pace which is not great so yeah was Larkin just straight up not as 
good of a player as he used to be in his age 24 season or you know I, i'd imagine you'd have access to all the great uh, variance markers that could maybe i don't know I, I guess i'm hoping that you'll be able to say that larkin just suffered from some bad luck and there's nothing to worry about or do you think there was, this was a sign that maybe he's starting to have his game fall off you know, it's. I think it's so tough to evaluate him on his point totals because of the way Detroit plays. And really, that goes for a lot of the guys on, on Detroit's um, team this year. I think, number one, Detroit had a historically awful power play this year. Um, at one point, they went 41 consecutive power play opportunities without a goal, which is something absolutely ridiculous that shouldn't happen. And I think they ended up finishing with a power play that connected around 10% of the time. And so... You know, that, that's one of the, the five worst power plays of the last 20 plus years since they started tracking, you know, power play success in 1997, 1998. So I think that certainly factored in to his point totals not being where they're at. And then at five on five, the way Detroit plays is extraordinarily conservative. They're a defense first hockey team. They're a team that plays a one, two, two, four checking system that has really the, the, the two forwards uh, that are not the primaries sort of drifting back because they are all about shot prevention. They actually sell out to play the shot prevention style. And that's why when you look at Detroit's sort of advanced analytics and see um, a little bit about what they're doing, you see they do a really nice job with shot suppression and sort of doing a, a good job of limiting quality opportunities against, but it comes expensive. They're not taking risks to generate their own chances. And I think that's what you've really seen in Dylan Larkin's game is you're not going to see him flying down the ice uh, you know, really chasing offense with the way the Red Wings are constructed. Now, that being said, I do think he has an opportunity for his offense to pick back up next year because Tyler Bertuzzi will be healthy. And Tyler Bertuzzi has been a longtime line mate of, of Dylan Larkin. And, and Bertuzzi was very limited in action this year, which I think significantly hampered Larkin's productivity. And then the second piece is if Jacob Vrana ends up playing on the line with Dylan Larkin, Jacob Vrana is an amazing hockey player. He came into Detroit and was almost a goal per game player in the 11 yeah. games he played for Detroit. And so if he's there with Larkin and potentially Tyler Bertuzzi, that has a potential to be an immensely creative line that I think can score a lot of points. Um, but it'll all depend again on if Bertuzzi's back is really healthy and if Verona ends up being back um, as a restricted free agent, which I suspect he will be. Um, as opposed to the Red Wings trading him there. And if those two things happen and they're able to play with Dylan Larkin, I think Larkin has the chance for his point totals to really soar. Yeah, that makes sense. We actually had an interesting discussion in the episode from last season. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes if people want to go back and hear the talk with Prashant a year ago. But yeah, it was a similar discussion about Larkin where you were saying that he was really hampered in that year by Anthony Mantha being hurt. And you were saying that like Larkin's not like one of these elite, elite centers that can just carry a line on his own. Like he'll get a lot of points if he has someone really good that he can, you know, play with. And it seemed like this season, like you said, like, Bertuzzi was injured. Manta, I don't know. I don't know what was happening with Manta. Actually, he was getting bumped all over the lineup before he ended up getting traded. Uh, so yeah, that would be exciting to see if Larkin can turn it around. But as far as the system in Detroit, I assume that we're, we shouldn't be expecting that to change. So we're just going to have to hope that the line mates will help elevate him, regardless. Yeah, I think you're not going to expect the system to change because Jeff Blashill has obviously been brought back on a on a two year deal in Detroit, and so he will be back next season. What you should expect to change is the power play. Uh, Dan Bilesma has run the power play for the last two seasons. The Red Wings have been the worst power play team in the league. Dan Bilesma will not be back next year. And so the Red Wings are uh, looking for a new assistant coach to come in and run the power play and run the forwards, which may 
you know, offer that power play a little bit more success. Because again, if that power play can get back up to around 20% from 10%, that's a potential, you know, 20 more points that uh, you're looking at for a guy like Larkin who primarily plays on power play one to, to be able to be a part of. So, you know, that's where I would, if you're really trying to sell out on Dylan Larkin's production coming back, it's going to have to happen on the power play. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, clearly he's going to be undervalued going into fantasy drafts next year. So yeah, obviously a good guy to swing on if you could get him, especially later on. Yeah. So you've brought up both Verona and Bertuzzi. I definitely want to get your takes on both of them. So let's start with Verona. So in our episode last year, you had a ton of praise for Anthony Mantha. You referred to him as like a top 15 winger in the league on like multiple occasions, but then it seemed like, or correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed like coach Blaschel didn't agree with you. (laughs) Like he was bumping Mantha kind of up and down the lineup through the first like three quarters of the season, which likely contributed to him having like Larkin S numbers and having a down year himself before he got traded at the deadline for Verona and then like Verona then was having an okay season with the Caps he had 25 points in 39 games and like you said he had some huge games with the Wings including that four goal game versus Dallas those couple uh, one goal one assist games at the end of the season versus Columbus giving him 11 points in 11 games in Hockey Town so yeah I guess first I'd love to just get your take on Mantha like what happened with him this season like what do you think like caused his numbers to go down when you were so high on him. And uh, what did you think of the deal when it uh, originally happened? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. Uh, I think Manta is an outstanding hockey player. He's a very gifted hockey player, but I think one of the big, you know, frustrating aspects for him this season, uh, at least for the fan base with him was his effort was somewhat inconsistent from night in into night out. Mm. And I think that's what you saw with Jeff Blaschel, you know, making him a healthy scratch at times, uh, moving them all over the lineup, you know, benching them in games. It was, he wanted to see a more consistent effort from Anthony Mantha because when Anthony Mantha moves his feet, he is an outstanding power forward. You know, he can really do a whole lot of things. And even uh, after he was dealt to Washington, he sort of came out and said that the system in Detroit uh, was somewhat frustrating for him to be able to play in. And and I think that sort of factored into you know, maybe a potential lack of effort or not necessarily a hundred percent commitment um, that Jeff Plashel sort of wanted to see. And I think that was what ultimately led to the deal happening was, you know, Manta being 26 years old and the Red Wings are sort of saying, okay, we, we know we're not within the playoffs probably in the next one to two years. And we want to make sure we get the maximum value from Anthony Manta. And so if I can trade Manta for a guy that's one year younger than him, that can effectively produce at the same rate, if not a little better, and also add a first round pick in 2021 and a second round pick in 2022. All right. Well then, yeah, Yeah. you have to do that. Right. And so that, that deal is Anthony Manta for Jacob Vrana, then Richard Ponick, and then a first-round pick in 2021 and a second-round pick in 2022. And Vrana then comes in and puts up eight goals in 11 games, including a four-goal game uh, with Detroit. And so it's like, okay, I think the first thing I took away from that was I didn't realize how good Jacob Vrana was. Yes, the stats were all there that he was you know, a top-five goal scorer in the NHL at even strength over the last three seasons, literally up there with Pasternak and Austin Matthews. But I wanted to see what would happen if you gave him more ice time and you did it in a bad, you know, in a bad offensive team like Detroit and not necessarily playing in Washington behind, you know, Ovechkin and Backstrom and Kuznetsov and Oshie and and all those. And he, he sure enough came to Detroit and did great. So, you know, what I'm sort of expecting is if Rana can give you that kind of production next season, then the Red Wings are walking away from this deal saying this was an absolute home run of a deal. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, especially if you're saying Mantha just like kind of doesn't fit in with this system in Detroit anyways, then maybe it could hopefully be a win-win. Like, I mean, if you're a Washington Capitals fan, but yeah, definitely looks good for Detroit, especially with how Verona did in that short stretch. Uh, So obviously it's hard to tell. It's such a small sample size, but do you think that is an indication of what we can expect next year? I know you've kind of mentioned that maybe the Wings will trade him. I find that hard to believe that they would do something like that, but I guess we'll have to see what kind of contract he wants as a RFA, but assuming he sticks with Detroit, Detroit. Uh, he's been around a 60-point guy over his past couple of seasons in Washington, but this is like without getting top power play deployment because he's behind all those guys in Washington. Now I guess there should be no obstacles for him to get all the offensive deployment that he's able to handle. So do you think that we're looking at still a 60-ish point guy or do you think there's upside for more? Yeah, I think you're still probably looking at about a 60-ish point guy. Um, I don't know that he's going to get a ton more ice time uh, in Detroit, at least at five on five. But where he potentially will get more of a role is on the power play uh, in Detroit. But that being said, Detroit's power play is a far cry from Washington's power play. So even though he'll play a lot more minutes there, that power play does not have Alexander Ovechkin. It doesn't have Nick Backstrom. It doesn't have TJ Oshie. Uh, So, you know, it'll be tough to say exactly. I think he probably comes in a little under 60 points. I'd probably guess somewhere between 50 and 55, just factoring in less production on the power play, but potentially a little bit more production at five on five. Um, But I I think he's still going to be in that ballpark, making him just a hugely valuable forward. Yeah, I think the Wings are definitely happy to have him. Yeah, and these picks in exchange for Mantha. I guess uh, he'll have to be the one that helps turn the power play around. It's kind of like how Nashville had that terrible power play. I was like, oh, how's Ellie Tolvanen going to produce? But then, as Brian likes to say, like Tolvanen, I guess, was part of the big reason why they were able to start scoring some power play goals. So we'll have to see if Verona can help with that. And like you keep mentioning, a healthy Tyler Bertuzzi could obviously not hurt at the net front. Uh, We had a really interesting discussion about him last year. We were talking about how he's had this high shooting percentage in his career, and you were saying how he's like you know doesn't take a lot of shots because he's generally like you know at, at the front of the net and maybe getting rebounds or redirections or something like that but it seemed like that high shooting percentage like was once again going to happen at least with the nine games that he did play he had five goals on 20 shots and it was looking like he was on track to potentially put up one of his best seasons like seven points in nine games obviously that's you know just a couple of weeks but then he left that game at the end of january at the end of the second versus florida never returned eventually undergoing back surgery on april 30th uh from what i'm seeing on nbc sports edge uh tyler bertuzzi is expected to be back as my dog is uh breathing in a crazy way but okay she's just excited about tyler bertuzzi so yeah he's expected <laughs> to be back and healthy next season i'm curious to get your take on like what should people be expecting from bertuzzi i'll bet he like if someone like larkin's gonna go under the radar like i'm sure Bertuzzi's gonna completely miss the radar like people probably don't have him on their minds at all and like you said he's like i'd imagine or correct me if i'm wrong is he gonna be coming back to like this like top line top power play with larkin that and maybe he'll be able to be again like a 50 plus maybe 60 point guy Yeah, I mean, back injuries are so tough to see uh, if he's able to come back and be exactly the kind of player that he was before. Um, But if he is, I mean, at the beginning of the season in January, he was the only guy scoring for Detroit. Really, he was driving all of their offense. He was the guy getting things done. And and when he ultimately was not able to continue after January, I think that was a huge blow uh, for the Red Wings offense. And really, I think the biggest guy who suffered was Dylan Larkin. And so if you're able to bring Tyler Bertuzzi back 100% healthy, put him on the top line, and like I said, give him a, a, another winger on that left side, whether it is Jacob Vrana or Philip Zadina, you're talking about a very potent top line that scored very well for the Red Wings over the last year and a half, albeit Mantha was on that 
uh, other side instead of whoever the wings may put there. And Bertuzzi figures to, to slot in on the top power play as well. So I think he's a guy poised for potentially a huge bounce back season, potentially a career season. If he is truly a hundred percent healthy, I think he's a guy that would also be able to sniff that 50 to 55 point territory, potentially around 20 goals as well. If he can be totally healthy. You know, talking to you, it kind of makes me excited for the Red Wings next year. I'm excited to see what they can do. But obviously, this big if, right? They need everyone to be healthy. Two years ago, it was Mantha that was hurt. This year, Bertuzzi. But Jeff, everyone's there. And if the goaltending could be close to as good, I don't know. I mean, it's exciting. Now, granted, we've talked about the only four players that are really notable on the Red Wings. And as soon as we're out of guys to talk about at this point, because we've talked about the ones that are really, really good. And no, I, you know, I'm being somewhat facetious here, but bringing Mo Sider over will be really exciting. Bringing, you know, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi back healthy. If you're able to bring Jacob Verona back, I think that'll make the Red Wings a little bit more exciting to watch. And they will have a little bit more offensive potential, uh, but a lot going to hinge on the health of those guys. A lot of that's going to hinge on having a better power play in place. And if they can do those things, there might be some valuable Red Wings for fantasy hockey here. Sure. And maybe that'll include a UFA that they're able to sign in the offseason. Yeah. So I still have some more players that I want to ask you about. Uh, So we'll get to that in just a sec. You're listening to Kevin Carlson. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Okay, so yeah, you like you said, maybe we're going to have a bit of a fall-off from the Bertuzzi, Larkins, and Veranas of the world, but still a highly touted prospect on the team that I want to get your take on next is Philip Zadina, who I guess had a bit of a disappointing sophomore season. He had six goals and 19 points in the 49 games he played. He spent some time playing with Larkin. His most common linemates, though, were Gagne and Nemesnikov on... I guess the second line, hard to tell, like which lines are which on Detroit. But on the plus side, Zadina was playing almost 17 minutes of ice time per game, uh, which seems pretty good for just a 21-year-old. So what do you think the vibe is on Zadina from the organization and the Wings fans at the moment? Like, are they looking at this past season as a disappointment? Or are they saying like, okay, this is like a good progression for this kid and we expect him to be an impact guy in the near future? I think it's somewhere in between. I don't know that anyone would sort of write them off as a true disappointment, or I should say there will be some people that do that, but I think majority of people aren't going to say that was a really disappointing season. I think, you know, we have to recognize the context of Detroit being this very aggressive defensive system and sort of Blaschel has a way that he wants to coach these younger players and sort of wants to make sure that they learn the basics of defense before they start sort of reaching and trying to force plays so I think all of that has to has to factor into the evaluation. But at the same time, this wasn't an overwhelming success. I mean, he, he a guy who was 
billed as being a great goal scorer, a guy on draft night who said, I want to fill, you know, Montreal's net with pucks, uh, <laughs> only put up six goals in 49 games. And, and, and that's not really going to get it done for the Red Wings for a guy who is sixth overall. And because it's Detroit and, and Quinn Hughes was, you know, right there, it's, it's always going to be that conversation that you passed on Quinn Hughes for, for Philip Zadina right there. So for me, I think it's somewhere in between. I think he's looking more like a complete hockey player. And I think the last few games playing with Jacob Vrana, you could tell there was instant chemistry there. Uh, those two guys seemed to play really well together. They went over to the Worlds and they played together uh, for the Czech team at the Worlds. And they had great chemistry over there. Both of them had four points in the games that they played in. Uh, so I think moving forward, Vrana's a guy that I think could really bring a lot out of Philip Zadina. Again, it sort of depends where Vrana plays, if he plays on the top line, if he plays on the second line. But I, I'm, I am encouraged. And the thing I sort of have to remember is he's 21. And he's a guy that I think is still, this was still his first full season. Um, you know, he only played 28 games last year, played nine games in, in 2018, 2019. This was really his first full season and first full crack uh, in the lineup. And so I think he is a guy that is going to start to figure things out. Um, and potentially if you can give him a little bit more talented line mates than Nemesnikov and Gagne, he may be able to do a little bit more. Yeah, like clearly no one thought that he was going to be at this young age, like a McDavid that could just carry a line. So yeah, I definitely am also heartened to see a potential of him playing with better players like uh, Verona. I guess we were expecting Verona to do a lot of heavy lifting if right now we've already decided that he's going to help Larkin and Zadina now have better seasons. I mean, he's basically the guy in Detroit. He's, uh, you know, I was joking about this with Max Boltman, who's uh, the beat writer for the Athletic Detroit and, and covers the Red Wings. But, I mean, Jacob Vrana is arguably the most skilled player the Red Wings have had on their roster since Pavel Datsuk left. Oh, wow. Um, you know, better than Thomas Tatar, better than, than Gustav Nyquist, arguably better than Dylan Larkin. I think he's the most skilled offensive player they've had in their system and really in Detroit since Pavel Datsuk, you know, left. Uh, and, and, and so when you sort of put all of that together, he is a really exciting player for the Red Wings to have around. And, and potentially, depending on where they end up slotting him in the lineup, he's a guy that could ha- have a huge impact offensively for a number of guys who I think in Detroit aren't necessarily line drivers, but can have their game elevated by guys who are. Right. And I guess one player who I'd be curious to know if you think he fits either category or was just a complete aberration. I joked about him at the beginning of the show. Adam Ernie, I got to ask, like, is anything that we saw this past season something that we can expect to repeat next year? Like, like you said, I guess I didn't even realize this. He led the team in goals. He had uh, 10 goals and six assists in this like 24 game stretch between the end of February and mid April before kind of like going back to being Adam Ernie at the end of the season. But is this someone that it should be at all like on my radar, someone that could do something impactful again next season, or do you expect him to go back to being like a bottom sixer who no one ever talks about? You know, it's so tough because I don't think anyone really expected this to come out of him after what happened last year. But, you know, I think you sort of have to throw it back that Adam Ernie was a point-per-game player in his draft year uh, in the QMJHL. Now, granted, the QMJHL is a a higher-scoring league. Point totals don't seem to mean as much um, in, in that regard. But he was a guy that scored almost 30 goals in his draft year in 68 games for Quebec and then went down to the AHL uh, in the Tampa system and was basically a a half a point per game player down the AHL, which is generally pretty promising, um, struggled to sort of crack this vaunted Tampa lineup. And so Detroit was able to get him just for a draft pick, um, you know, prior to 2019, 2020. 
And then he sort of flopped. He had two goals and five points in 56 games in 1920. And so I think expectations were sort of at an all-time low, but he had very clearly shown that he had some offensive prowess, uh, at least in his past. And I think that's what you saw come out when Detroit sort of struggled with injuries, with Robbie Fabry getting hurt, with Dylan Larkin missing time, with Anthony Mantha being traded, with Tyler Bertuzzi out. Somebody needed to step up, and the guy that really stepped up was Adam Ernie, and he started to actually show this just incredible ability to join the rush, uh, you know, fly down the wing, cut to the middle, get his shot off. He showed a really nice goal-scoring touch, and truth be told, I mean, it's hard to argue that that's not a, like that he can't replicate that, um, particularly if he gets some other guys back in the lineup um, that can take the attention away from him. Now, that being said, you know, with all those guys missing uh, time in Detroit, Adam Ernie did get power play one time, which I don't think happens again next year when Detroit's fully healthy. And so that may certainly hamper some of his production if Detroit's power play picks up. But he certainly looked good at five on five, and he's potentially a guy you could pencil in for maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 points somewhere in that ball game, and maybe maybe somewhere between 12 to 15 goals uh, if everything goes right. Yeah, I guess we'll see if he gets to line up with someone good or or not. But yeah, I, I definitely could see him doing something again. And he's still kind of young, right? He's only 26 years old, I believe. So I don't know. I feel like going into the year, I would, if you would have asked me, I would have assumed he was like a you know a veteran of the league. But no, he's still pretty young. So maybe we just haven't seen what he can do because this is the first time he really got an opportunity. Uh, so, okay, but switching now to the really young people, let's get to the prospect chat, which I know a lot of people are always excited to hear about. And I guess the first thing I should ask you is the Wings have the sixth overall pick coming up in the NHL draft. And so I'd love to get your sense of what the Wings should be hoping to do with this pick. Uh, we have a patron, Shams, who is a big fan of the Wings for Breakfast podcast. He said, I needed to ask you if the Wings should look to draft a goalie with that sixth overall pick. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, as, as, as people who listen to Wings for Breakfast, uh, they've heard me rant about this time and time again. I, I strongly feel that the Red Wings should not take a goaltender. Really, no team should take a goaltender with, uh, you know, your first pick in, in the draft. I think the draft capital there, the, the value you can get from a forward or a defenseman is much higher. The certainty in which what you can get is much higher. And then you sort of couple in the fact that you can get a lot of really decent goaltending out of free agency. I mean, Detroit's both their goaltenders came out of free agency, Bernier and Grace. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of against going down the road of a Jesper Wallstead or Sebastian Casa as, as they're probably the top two goalie prospects. You know, at six, it'll be really interesting to see how the draft breaks. I don't know that there's really anybody consensus uh, that won't be there outside of Owen Power. I think he's probably a consensus top three guy for most teams, likely the first overall pick. But after that, it's, it's sort of tough to say how the rest of the draft breaks. You know, I think one guy I sort of have my eye on as potentially falling to the Red Wings is William Eklund, who uh, is a center slash left winger, um, you know, in the SHL played for uh, Jersey. And I think he's a really talented offensive player, arguably the most talented offensive player in this draft. Uh, I think he really adds some nice skill. The only question mark is if he's going to be able to play center at the NHL uh, level since his skating isn't necessarily quite as good as you would hope it would be um, for someone there. And he doesn't necessarily have prototypical size, but he's sort of the guy I would have my eye on at six. 
Okay, yeah, I actually meant that uh, goalie question as a joke, but then I, as I was researching for this interview, I found a mock draft on NHL.com by uh, Adam Kimmelman, and he said that he'd draft Jesper Wallstadt at six. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people. I think Craig Button had Jesper Wallstadt uh, to Detroit in his mock draft. Um, so Adam Kimmelman's not the only one. A lot of people were doing this. I think Cam Robinson, uh, you know, of, of elite prospects, also put. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesper Wallstead at six, the Detroit uh, Tony Ferrari of Dauber prospects put uh, Jesper Wallstead at six to Detroit. So don't worry, it's not just Adam, but I would uh, vote strongly against that. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And like you say, maybe they could get this uh, talented center left wing. They do, I, I guess I asked you before about like who is the third best defenseman on Detroit. I guess I could ask you the same question about who's the like second best center on Detroit currently because I'm looking at one prospect in Joe Valeno who was the you know, drafted in the same draft as Zadina over 30th overall. He played most of this season in the SHL before he did get four games with Grand Rapids and then five games at the end of the season with the Wings where he even scored his first NHL goal. And like, I know I shouldn't expect too much from a 30th overall pick, but at the same time, like I was trying to look at like, who does he have to beat out to be like the number two center on this team next year? So I'm curious about your day. Like is, is, am I right to assume that Villano might be the number two center next year? Yeah. You, it's absolutely within reason here is he's likely going to be either the second or third line center for Detroit, barring them going out and right, uh, getting somebody in, in free agency, which would be a little bit surprising, but at least what's on the roster right now, I don't think Nemestikov slots ahead of him. Rasmussen, as much as Detroit wants him to be a center, I don't think he's going to be able to play center at the NHL level and will likely play on the wing. Valeno was able to play a little bit at center for Detroit this season, I think in a perfect world, Detroit gets him in as their third line center. Uh, however, like you said, I don't know who's going to be able to be better than him next season. Um, you know, maybe they get a little creative and they try and convert somebody into a center, but they don't have any center prospects knocking down the door. I think Theodore Niederbach, who's arguably their best center prospect, is not ready to be in the NHL next season. Um, and so I think Joe Valeno is probably the guy that may end up playing second line minutes for Detroit. Yeah, so definitely, I guess, a name that we should probably get familiar with. Though, at the same time, I guess it was, who was it, Sam Gagne as a second line center this past season. It's not as if he was someone especially noteworthy, so maybe it's not that significant. You know, it sort of depends. I think the second line center position this past year was actually primarily played by a lot of different guys. I mean, Robbie Fabry played a little bit at second line center. You had Nemesnikov play at center. You had Val Filpola play at center. You had... You know, you know, Rasmussen played a little bit at center. Valeno played at center. Gagne played at center. Glenn Denning even slotted up in the in the second line and played at center there. So it's anyone's guess as to who actually does it. But I think Valeno's got to be the leading candidate as of now. Cool. I actually have him in uh, Dynasty League that counts faceoffs, and I saw that he won a few faceoffs. In the he looked list. really good. He was doing a night. He was working a lot with Luke Lindenning, who's a faceoff extraordinaire um, in Detroit, and, and so he was working with him on faceoffs. And I think what you have to like about Valeno is he plays with great pace. He plays with great pace. Uh, he's got speed. He's got skill. He just needs to be able to put all those pieces together at the NHL level, which we haven't really seen enough to know if he can do. Right, yeah, so maybe we'll learn this year. And then I guess, am I correct in assuming that the number one prospect in the system right now is their fourth overall pick from this past year, Lucas Raymond? 
It'd probably be a toss-up for people between Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider. I think if you're not considering oh, right. Moritz Sider a, a prospect anymore, since it's likely a slam dunk to be in Detroit, then uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. Lucas Raymond's probably the best prospect. I think he has the highest ceiling of anybody in Detroit system. Um, there's a solid chance he's, um, you know, primarily just in Grand Rapids next year in the AHL. But I think there's an outside shot he does get some time in Detroit next season. Yeah, well, he just finished his age 18 season in the SHL, 18 points in 34 games with Ferlanda. So, yeah, maybe he get, plays the uh, Valeno route, like, you know, goes in the minors, then comes up at the end of the season, and then people get excited about him. And then we could be talking in our interview in a year from now about what to expect from Lucas Raymond. And I guess what would that be, 2022, 23? Yeah, exactly. So I think that's the likely round. I think you'll see him in Grand Rapids for most of next season with potentially a couple of games in Detroit towards the end of the year. Like, are people happy with what they saw out of Raymond since they drafted him? Like, is it considered a good season to have 18 points in 34 games in the SHL? Yeah, I think the context with how Fralunda plays, um, Fralunda is very similar stylistically to Detroit. They're one of the lowest scoring teams in the mm. SHL. They're a very sort of slow, methodical, defensive first team. So, that, again, the point totals weren't necessarily going to pop off the charts. Then Lucas Raymond missed significant time with an injury this season that ended his season. And so... You know, with all of that being said, I still think taking 18 points in 34 games is a reasonable, you know, step from him. I think you still see the creativity there. You see the lethal shot. You see the playmaking. You, all of the tools are there. I think it's just the point totals aren't necessarily there because of him playing in Forlunda. I'm really excited him in North America on smaller ice in a different system. How does his offensive, you know, style really emerge? Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So that'll be fun to watch. Are there any other prospects that you think I've missed? Like, I guess one guy I was reading about is Jonathan Berggren, who had 45 points in 49 games in the SHL this past season. I guess on a, maybe a more offensive team than Fralanda. Yeah. Berggren, you know, he's an outstanding player, 2018 draft pick for the Red Wings, second round pick. He's a guy that we haven't really been able to see much of the last two years because he's been hurt. He had a pretty nasty back injury, I think in 2018, 2019, had another injury last year that knocked him out uh, for a period of time. But this season, totally healthy. He's just an incredible playmaker. He's a guy that can dance with the puck, has excellent vision, a guy that I think could really quarterback a power play, you know, was a point-per-game player in the SHL this season. Granted, he is a couple years ahead of Lucas Raymond in that regard. He's another guy I would expect to see in Grand Rapids next season, um, you know, sort of come making the transition to North America again with an outside shot to be in the NHL next year. Uh, only other guy that I would also put in sort of that same tier is Albert Johansson, uh, defenseman um, in Detroit. Uh, so he he's also in the SHL, as if you can't tell everybody in Detroit plays in the <laughs> SHL. Um, but he had a really, really nice season, quietly almost scored as well as Moritz Sider did in terms of a points per 60, um, you know, standpoint in the SHL. He's another guy that's sort of flown under the radar um, for the Red Wings. I think he'll also be in Grand Rapids next season. Uh, uh, I should say potentially be in Grand Rapids next season. It's sort of, he's the one that we're not sure of yet, whether it'll be SHL or Grand Rapids. I personally think he would benefit from being in Grand Rapids next year. Uh, So he's another one to watch as potentially being a guy in one to two years who can be a real smooth skating offensive defenseman. 
Wow, I don't know, Prashant. Like maybe I'm just falling to a trap here, but I I'm getting into the Detroit Red Wings, talking about them with you. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of guys here that are really exciting. It just all depends on if everybody sort of hits that potential and 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 meets you know what we're all expecting and hoping for, which we know is never the case. But yeah. there's certainly there's certainly reason for excitement in Detroit. Yeah, right. Of course. Okay, so I guess this takes us to uh, the final thoughts here. So last year I asked you, like I referenced before, to like predict like sort of the biggest surprise and maybe the biggest disappointment for 2020-21. You said Cider is the biggest surprise, which I guess we can call that a wash. Uh, you chose Robbie Fabry, actually, as someone that you expected to disappoint us. And he actually wasn't that bad, right? Like uh, 18 points in 30 games before uh, all the injuries caught up with him. Were you impressed with Fabry? Like, did he do better than what you were expecting? Yeah, I think he scored better than I was expecting. I think part of what I was expecting uh, was when he first came to Detroit in the trade for Jacob De La Rose, he actually scored couple goals in his very first game and, and looked really, really promising. And I think everyone was sort of excited to see him in a full season in Detroit, but I knew that he was going to get asked to play second line center. That was going to be a tough role for him in Detroit. He also seemed to be a guy that was much more of an offensive first slash, not as much defense, um, you know, sort of player and how well would that mesh in the system? But I'm, I was pleasantly surprised with him. I thought he scored way better than expected while the second line center experiment didn't work out. I thought he still was a, a valuable piece for the Red Wings, and ultimately their their offense suffered when he was hurt. So uh, he's a guy that I think if he's, again, back healthy next year, um, can definitely be a, a, a huge impact player for the Red Wings on the second line. Yeah, I guess this will be a contract year for him, so he'll be very motivated to try to have a big season. And then, yeah, so I guess let's do the same exercise again, predicting for next year. I guess, uh, I, I wonder if I could almost guess based on the conversations we've had, but I'd love to get your thoughts on, like, who's a player that you think might be under people's radars that might, you know, surprise people be able to get laid in their fantasy drafts and then feel like big geniuses by the end of the year, and then someone who maybe people might reach for and end up regretting it. Yeah, I mean, the guy that uh, I'll say it'll be a surprise, you can probably get late in the year is Tyler Bertuzzi. I just think only playing nine games this past season he's not going to be on a lot of people's radars if he's totally healthy from this back injury I think he can be you know give you almost a first line forward production and so yeah he's a guy that I would definitely pencil in as 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 a guy that can definitely um you know play play for you and play well at the next level and then the guy that I would sort of say is likely to be the biggest disappointment uh, it's hard to say here but I, I'd probably pick Thomas Grace uh you know as much as mm. I just talked him up and and sort of uh, said that he got back to what his benchmark was in the Islanders. He is 35. He's going to be 36 next season. Um, at some point, these goalies do fall off the cliff. We did see him really struggle at the beginning in Detroit this year. I have to wonder if if the bottom falls out for him uh, next season, and if Jonathan Bernier ends up, you know, if Bernier ends up being back and sort of takes a little bit more of a stranglehold on on, on the starter role. Um, I think really the only reason Grace got as many games as he did was Bernier missed several games with injury this year. Bernier's healthy back next year and ends up re-signing in Detroit. I think you might see the split go the other way and you might not get as many games out of Grace. Yeah, definitely hard to argue with both of those picks. I agree with you. I think it would be a, a bit of a foolish move to, you know, bet big on Thomas Grice once again, leading goalies and save percentage over that kind of stretch again. It would be really surprising. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, but hey, it happened. Uh, so Prashant, this has been so fun. The time just flew by. Uh, so if people, you know, obviously love this interview and they want to hear more from you, where, where can people follow all of your great work? 
Uh, well, right now, really just on Twitter at IR underscore Prashant. That's at I-Y-E-R underscore P-R-A-S-H-A-N-T-H. And, you know, usually that's where you'll get all my different random thoughts. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Uh, thanks so much again for talking to me all about the Detroit Red Wings. And uh, hopefully when we do our interview next season, it'll be, you know, more happiness and excitement about yeah. an improving team. Hopefully we're still on the upward trajectory. Yeah. Okay. Well, have a great night. And thanks again. Thanks, man. You too. Thank you so much to Prashant Iyer for joining me for that really fascinating interview about the Detroit Red Wings. Like I said, I, uh, during the show and in my intro, I'm really excited to see what the Wings are going to do this season and in the next couple of years. I know that a friend of the show and short shifts host Louis Ezekiel is a fan of the Wings. Maybe he'll have something that he can cheer for in the not too distant future. Okay, so I hope that you enjoyed episode two of the 32 Beats series. We're going to try to keep bringing you more of these episodes all through the playoffs and off season. Uh, let us know what you think. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson with any feedback that you have. If you're interested in hanging out with us, chilling with Brian and I and the patrons of Keeping Carlson, we do have our Patreon program still going with our summer special of only a dollar a month American. Gets you access to our patron Discord server and all the perks that we give our patrons. So if that sounds at all interesting to you, then check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, I think I'm ready to cue that outro music, and I'll go ahead and read you the credits, which are basically Prashanth Iyer at Iyer underscore Prashanth, and that's linked to in the show notes. He's a great follow on Twitter. You definitely want to be following him for everything about the Detroit Red Wings. Then I obviously use Frozen Tools, and that's pretty much about it. A lot of NBC Sports Edge, of course, to get my updates on if Tyler Bertuzzi is going to be back and ready to play next season. So yeah, thanks again for listening, and until I'm back with you. Just remember that fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs> <laughs>